0: So you have Psalm 123, and let me remind you, look, we, um, I say it all the time, no matter what you believe uh, theologically, no matter what you believe um, about the world in terms of what worldview you think you might have, no matter what you've done in your past this semester, over the summer, and what you'll do, we want you to feel welcome and We take that seriously in RUF. Um, If it is your first time in RUF, if you're a freshman, we're just one of the many campus ministries on campus trying to figure out what it means to love God and love others, and we want to walk alongside you at Wofford while you figure out how to follow Jesus in college. And um, we're bound by the reality that God loves us. We're people bound by the reality that God loves us, and so out of the reality and experience of Jesus is love. We have to love others. That's what we're doing. And that's why we're here. That's why we look at the Bible. That's why we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays to pray. Um, that's why we read books about following Jesus. That's why we want to meet with you. Um, because we want to follow Jesus with you. Um, this semester, again, we're going through the Psalms of Ascent. And they are a group of psalms. Um. Israel's prayer book, Israel's hymnal, when they would get together, these are the songs they sang. They had to memorize 150 of them, and 130 to or 120 to 134. is this small group of 13 or 14 psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent. They would gather together. And they would go on this hiking trip to Jerusalem to the temple to worship God. And along the way on their journey, as they were walking, they would sing these songs. That's what they would do. They would sing Psalm 123 together by heart. And the image that I've really wanted to impress upon you guys this semester, and this is why we're looking at these psalms, is that this, these psalms are getting at this image of the Christian life. This, the image is this, The journey. The journey this long road trip with Jesus. It's not overnight, it's long. There's a daily grind to it. There is a destination, there's a focus to it, there is a map with it, there's a team, but we're going somewhere. And the Psalms of Ascent get at that reality and so it involves help and security and memory and mercy and grace. And tonight we're gonna talk about mercy. Psalm 123 is all about mercy. All right, over the past couple of months, I, I don't know if you've said this to someone or if you've heard someone say it to you, but I would imagine some version of these two phrases, someone said it, "I'm so done. I'm so done." Or "Enough is enough. I've had enough of this. Um, have you been there recently? Have you been there the past couple of months? Have you been there? Over the past year, are you there tonight? Uh, just at a place of, I've had enough of this. And this could be all kinds of things. Um, because the reality for a lot of you is that life during COVID times has been one of perpetual disappointment. Not just an occasional disappointment, but like always disappointing. Um, it's made it seem seemingly impossible to connect with others And so you say, enough is enough. I've had enough of this. Um, Much of our plans, study abroad plans, interim plans, plans even in our RUF community, like fall and summer conference, canceled. Um, Nothing seems to be going according to plan. I'm so done with this. You're so done with this. Um, Have you said that to somebody? Do you feel that in your bones and in your heart when you wake up? Those are COVID time, like, realities that make us say, like, enough is enough. But there are also parts of our lives more generally that make us say enough is enough. There are personality quirks. Like, some of us don't like who we are and don't like areas and certain parts of our personalities. And so we hear kind of lies and shame sorts of voices that say, look, you're too serious. You're too goofy. You're not intellectual enough. You're not interesting enough. Some of y'all are like endless worriers and you hate this about yourself. You hate the fear of the unknown and it's crippling to you and you hate this about yourself. Enough is enough when you look at your own personality. Many of you don't like your own bodies. You know that you don't look like an Instagram model and you hate this about yourself and you wish that God would just give you another body. Enough is enough. And then there's secret sins and addiction and pornography addictions that result in crippling shame and you believe the lie, like I will never be able to have a healthy sex life with a spouse one day. This is what you hear. Enough is enough. Some of you have had the traumatic experience of abuse. It's a part of your story and you carry it around in your bones and in your body and in your heart every day. And all the counseling and all the therapy I'm glad you're doing it, you're probably glad you're doing it, and yet you still feel those words in your bones like enough is enough, um, I'm tired of carrying this around. I. My point is this, there are deep wounds that we all carry around, and there are wounds and scars and sins and anxiety and depression and addiction, all these things that make us say enough is enough, and I've had enough of all of it. I'm done. I'm so done. And all the counseling and all the yoga and all the self-help podcasts and all the Bible reading and all the prayer just doesn't seem to work. It doesn't seem to alleviate this I'm done-ness. That's life in a fallen world, and that's like what the people of Psalm 123 are feeling in their bones. Enough is enough. I've had enough. A life that is worn out by sin and death, scorn and deceit. They're over it. So what do they do about it? That's what we're going to see. This is God's word, friends. Um, he's spoken to us. He's not silent. He's spoken to you. He's spoken to me because he loves us. I'm reading from the ESV. "To you, I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens." Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our souls have had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud we pray very quickly. Lord, we do thank you for your word. It is living and active because you are living and active. Our minds, though, are busy and our hearts are restless. And so by your spirit, slow us down that we might be both hearers and doers of your word. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, here's the game plan. What we're going to see, kind of big picture, this is the sort of meta big picture where we're going. Psalm 123 is inviting us to embrace this reality about the Christian life. The Christian life runs on mercy. The Christian life runs on mercy alone. Not willpower, not self-help to-do lists, mercy alone. That's the Christian life. And so we're going to do this. We're going to walk through it in two ways. The first way is this, hopeful expectation. And second, persistent reliance. Those are our points. First, hopeful expectation. And then second, persistent reliance. Let's do the first one, hopeful expectation. So Psalm 123 is all about mercy. It's all about mercy. The folks singing this song were consumed by mercy, mercy. They ask for it. They long for it. They expect to get it. Mercy, a word with so much meaning. It's the kind of words that Christian folk throw around standing behind pulpits behind um, computer desks. Mercy is a word that's uttered while you're standing or sitting by a loved one's deathbed. Mercy is the kind of thing you long for when you've wronged someone. Mercy is one of those words that because it's so pervasively used, especially in the Christian church in the South, it deserves kind of dusting off and it deserves kind of a definition. Same with words like wicked or righteous or world or flesh or sin and Satan and grace. Mercy. What does it mean? Here's my shot at a definition according to the scriptures. Mercy is when you get the opposite of what you deserve. Mercy is when you get the opposite of what you deserve. And what I would say almost like mercy is this kind of gracious surprise in a fallen world. It's a gracious surprise in that you don't deserve it and you usually don't get it because it's a kind of a tit-for-tat world that we live in. You've got to be at the end of your rope to get mercy. You've got to be at the end of your rope to long for mercy. And these folks want God to act mercifully and to end the pain that they're experiencing, and they want God to act like right now. Right now. Now, that's mercy. I want you to see that they're longing for it. Enough is enough. We've had so much of life in a fallen world with scorn and deceit, I'm so done, have mercy upon me. But I really want you to see this. They aren't just asking for mercy, they're expecting to get it. Okay? Hopeful expectation. It's not just asking God for help, for mercy. It's actually doing so with hopeful expectation. That's Christian hopeful expectation and asking for mercy. That's what, that's what the life of mercy with Jesus involves. Eugene Peterson says this about it. The word mercy means that the upward look to God in heaven does not expect—the well, the, the word mercy means that the upward look to the God in the heavens does not expect God to stay in the heavens, but to come down, to enter our condition, to accomplish the vast enterprise of redemption, to fashion us—in uh, us—his eternal salvation— So it's looking to the God of heaven, expecting him not to stay there, (laughs) um, to be stagnant. It's inviting us to ask Jesus for mercy and to do so confidently, expecting him to act. All right, I want want you to think of two children for a second. I want you to imagine two children. The first child is a two- or three-year-old boy. The boy's got wonderful parents. They're really involved in the son's life. They've never missed doctor's appointments. Look, y'all, I'm thinking about parenthood all the time. Like Office, LeBron, Annie, it's just where we're at right now. Um, These parents are always on time. They always show affection to the child. All the hugs, all the I love yous and the kisses and the tickling and the snuggles and the inside jokes, it's all there. And all the boy needs, all the boy's needs are, are met very quickly on time very predictably, all by his mom and dad. Okay, that's, that's kid one. Child number two is this two or three-year-old, It's a little girl. This little girl doesn't have great parents. Her parents' marriage is on the rocks and the house is filled with tension and passive-aggressive comments and everyone is constantly on eggshells. And even at three years old, this little girl is picking up on the reality that home might not be safe. Either because of her parents' like addictions to their jobs, they're not home very much, or when they are, they're emotionally distant and preoccupied, or they're just trying to survive their dying marriage, and so the little girl often feels neglected, or she actually is neglected. These are common. These are two common um, households. I want to ask you this: between the two ch- two children, which child is more likely? That when they ask their parents for breakfast in the morning to do so with 100% confidence that they're going to get the cereal, the boy will. The boy will. Because his, his parents have been faithful and persistent in their care of him and meeting his needs, daily needs, day in and day out. The little girl can't say that. She can't have, there's always this parental insecurity and anxiety, wondering, even as a three-year-old, this is, um, I did not make up this story, this two real stories uh, about friends of mine. Um, and she walked around with insecurity about her parents. And here's the deal. I don't know what kind of parents that you have. Uh, I know many of the kinds of parents that you had, but I do know Many of your parents and the households you grew up in and just statistically with like college students in this country, you grew up in broken homes with divorce and addiction and emotionally distant parents. And here's the deal. it, relate, it Like this reality in your experience with your household affects the way you relate to God. It affects the way that you relate to God. When you ask God for mercy, do you expect that he's gonna give it to you? do you have 100% certain confidence that he's the kind of father that is going to provide? I'm not just like, this is a a typical, um, I feel like I ask these kind of questions every now and then in sermons. I really want you to ask yourself that question. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Do you actually believe that he's the kind of father that isn't just gonna neglect you? And well, maybe he's around, but he kind of like, feels obligated to give me breakfast, like delights to be merciful to you. Do you believe that? I ask that because God has promised us in his word that his mercy is endless. There is no limit, no limit. Do not believe anybody that says there is a limit to his mercy. What does the Bible say? You might've heard this probably on a bumper sticker or on like a like a Hallmark card or something. It's new every morning, every morning, every morning. It is all yours every day. Ask for it, seek, knock, expect to get it. Hopeful expectation. Let's go to the second one. Persistent reliance. Christian life runs on mercy, hopeful reliance, persistent, hopeful expectation, persistent reliance. All my terms, y'all going all over the place. Here's a little tip about being a good Bible reader in just of any texts. And y'all, humanities, um, liberal arts folks, y'all know this. Repetition is important. Repeated words and phrases are important. You should perk up and, like, notice these words that the psalmists are are repeating because they repeat words on phrases all the time. And the repetitive nature of this psalm is giving us a window into the nature of life with Jesus. It is repetitive. It's a repetitive daily grind kind of life. Persistent reliance on his mercy. For what kind of bread? Daily bread. Not occasional meals. Daily meals. Christians don't just need mercy to receive forgiveness of their sin when they begin a life with Jesus. As children of God, we need daily mercy from our Father. This psalm repeats a phrase about the kind of trouble that they're in. Enough is enough. It's what they say to my paraphrase had more than enough scorn, more than enough contempt. They also repeat a phrase calling out to God about mercy. Have mercy upon me, Lord, have mercy. He's being repetitive on purpose. The road following Jesus runs on mercy from a state of like, I'm so done. And you can do so expecting to get it, but it's persistent and it's daily and it's repetitive. And it means relying on God's mercy for daily needs, Um, not just forgiveness of sins, but daily needs. And so it means relying on God's mercy to steward your time and your gifts to work hard in the classroom because God, God has called you to the vocation of a college student to listen to your professors and to do your assignments and to be punctual and to respect them and to make eye contact with them because they're made in the image of God. And to create, and to, when you're in Burwell and you're getting a coffee refill to look the people working behind the counter with dignity, to treat them with dignity and make eye contact with them, it's relying on Jesus to do this because you're done and I'm done and it's easy not to do this. It means relying on God to be merciful to you and giving you mercy to be a godly roommate, to be a godly boyfriend or girlfriend, to be... A person who is slow to speak and quick to listen. The daily bread mercy of Jesus. We need this, not just to forgive us off our sins at that youth conference when we said that prayer that one time. Daily mercy. And I hope that you can hear this. Like, this is one of these other things that I really want you to hear. I want you to hear all this, but like, like sort of older brother Matt, like wants just to wants you to know this. Um He's like he's the kind of father that wants to give you that daily bread because he's he wants to be intimately involved in the like particularities of your life. Not to like micromanage you, but he like wants to be involved because he delights in you and he wants to change your he wants to change you by being involved. He wants to make you more like Jesus and he wants to grow your affections to be more of a lover of Jesus. And so he's relationally involved. He's not just like this weird Trinitarian deity that somehow is like floating around and involved in this daily bread stuff. He delights in you. He is, that's what an involved father does, isn't it? He delights in the particularities of your life. You're not annoying him by asking him for daily bread. <clears throat> okay. Okay. In many ways, like, what Caroline and I are trying to do is, like, open your eyes to how he's trying to, like, do daily bread with you. And, like, you just participate in it. Just take the meal. <laughs> just take the meal. Okay. I'm going to teach you for a second. I really want you all to hang in with me on this. Okay? You all can handle this. One of the realities that I have noticed in four years doing this and just being a Christian in the South is that in the South, in the Christian church, not all of y'all grew up in the South and and, and grew up in the church, but we're in Spartanburg. Um, The Christian church in the South has a fresh reliance on God's mercy for our sins, to forgive our sins, but not so much of a daily reliance on God's mercy for a journey with Jesus. We rely on him to forgive us at that youth conference where we were like in tears with that song. And then when we come off the mountaintop experience of the daily grind at Wofford College, it's very difficult to rely on him for daily bread and his mercy. The Christian life runs on mercy. It didn't just begin with mercy. And I'm gonna tell you guys about two terms y'all have probably heard me talk about to kind of say it in another way. We're very natural at relying on, on God's mercy for our justification, but not so natural and great at relying on God for our sanctification. Here's what justification is, the first one. It's how God makes us right with him. We have a broken relationship with him, and someone needs to make it right, and Jesus, by his grace, life, death, and resurrection, when we just like have childlike trust in him, God says, it's finished. You are right with me because of what Jesus has done. You can't earn it. You're at the end of yourself. Trust me, like a child. You do that one time, you're right. You're justified in God's sight. Sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. It's coming down from the mountain. It's the daily grind of relying on God's mercy. That's sanctification. We're really weak at relying on Jesus's mercy for that. And so I just want to ask you this question. Um, Do you actually believe that you need God's mercy every day? Do you believe that you need it? If we're weak at like asking him in our prayer, like our devotional lives, being like we're bored in our devotional lives, like when is the last time that we've been to church? Like, when you do kind of a spiritual inventory and you notice boredom and apathy and like stagnation, it's like, why, what is going, like, do we actually believe that we need daily bread from Jesus to grow? I'm not asking that. I'm asking that as a diagnostic pastoral question because I love you, not as a way to condemn you. I just like, we got to ask that if we're going to do Psalm 123. So do we believe that we need it daily mercy or occasional mercy? It's a good diagnostic question. Spoiler alert, I need it, and you need it um okay, second question is this, and we're gonna go to the we're gonna we're gonna wrap up Do you actually have the kind of relationship with Jesus where you ask him for mercy every day through prayer and scripture and in your friendships um with Christian community? do you have this kind of daily posture of being a child with your um, with your Father and asking, because again, it is all yours. you just have to take it. You already have it. There is no limit. You just jump in, ask and seek and knock, and who knows how He might answer? He might not answer in the way that you want, when you want or how you want. But Jesus is the ultimate answer um, to us looking at God in a fallen world and say, "Enough is enough." And Jesus is the answer to that prayer. Um, I'm going to close with this. I've been thinking a lot about that scene in the Gospels where Jesus is asleep on a boat in the middle of like a hurricane with his disciples. Y'all know this story? That is like, that feels like life right now. Um, That feels like life right now to me. And I wonder sometimes, Directing this question to God, like, what are you doing? Like, what do you not see all this? Um, isn't that what that's what the disciples said? Like, do you not hear the storm? Do you not hear the waves? Do you not feel them on this boat? What are you doing? You're taking a nap. I feel that. Um, and there's a song, um, called uh, Wake Up Jesus that I've been listening to a lot, and I think I've been thinking about that scene a lot because it's evoking that gospel passage this is what the song says it's called wake up jesus highly commend you got to listen to this song i'll put the link somewhere jesus when you gonna wake up when you gonna wake up and calm this raging sea jesus when you gonna wake up when you gonna wake up how can you sleep when we're in need Just one word from the maker, and all the waves be still. Just one touch from the healer, and all will be made well. And all will be made well. Friends, Jesus is not asleep. Uh, He's not asleep. He's wide awake, ready to calm storms, console the weary, heal your wounds, forgive your sins day in and day out. Just take the daily bread.